You are now tuned in to the Jags Den Podcast, the official podcast of the Jaguars Wire, brought to you by USA Today Sports Media Group, and also the number one Jaguars podcast on the airwaves. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year, and welcome back to the Jags Den Podcast. I am your host, Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino, and joining me as always is the managing editor of the Jaguars Wire, James Johnson at SportsGrind underscore Don Jay. Happy New Year. Hope you and your family and everybody uh, got into 2020 safe, and we are finally to the offseason where the Jaguars thrive. How are you doing here this evening, buddy? Man, I couldn't be more. The, the, The regular season was so rough and tough for us. Like I was just anticipating this offseason so much. It was like a, 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 you know, just stress relieved off of my chest as soon as that clock hit zero 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 in the Colts game. And I mean, we also won, so that was kind of fun actually, which we don't get to feel that often. But uh, yeah, man, uh, so happy the season is over. Which I guess that might be a bad thing or a bad thing to say. Uh, but. You know, as you said, we got a exciting offseason to talk about. We, me and you making moves that, uh, you know, we'll talk about that later as well in terms of what we're doing with this podcast. And, uh, yeah, man, I'm just glad to uh, be back on the show. Yeah, just like you, Jay, uh, I was glad to see the season end. It was just so heavy all of 2019 between Jalen Ramsey and Tom Coughlin and all this other stuff. It was nice to finally just – get to the very end and go into the off season. Uh, and even, you know, like you said, we did come out with a win, whether or not that was a good or bad thing. We will get into a little bit later. I, I'm really glad everybody had a good time, but we really didn't need that victory. But uh, nevertheless, they did come out victorious against the Indianapolis Colts, kept that home winning streak against Indy alive. But we are going to get into a bunch of topics here, Jay. There is no shortage of things to talk about before we begin though of course make sure you're checking out the site at jaguarswire.usatoday.com you can find us on twitter at the jaguars wire as well as on facebook at the jaguars wire as well you can find the podcast pretty much anywhere you're listening to your podcast spotify iHeartRadio, TuneIn, stitcher apple podcast and of course the audio boom network thanks to usa today uh, so jay we're gonna get right into plenty of to- uh, our main topics here this week and uh, of course the um, the big story coming out of Jacksonville we were we were got we were getting conflicting reports over the weekend about Doug Marone's job status and then finally i believe it was on Tuesday they announced that everybody is staying and we had kind of been hearing rumblings that that was going to be the case and lo and behold that is what we got so Dave Caldwell Doug Marone returning for yet another year this upcoming season so Jay when you first heard this news break what were your initial thoughts yeah i was i think i shared this sentiment with most people and probably you i was disappointed uh you know i was hoping that shot come would show the ability because uh you know this this train has been going on for so long with him i was hoping he'd show uh, the ability to move on and understand uh that basically uh, the team that he saw in 2017, which he actually mentioned in his statement, that kind of indicated that he's still looking into the past. Uh, but the team that we saw in 2017 is no more. You know, and me and you talked about this beforehand. Is when you look at that roster, a lot of that roster is no longer here, or the veterans that are here from that roster have aged. Now, you know, granted, we have Allen and Ngakwe, one of the better pass rushing duos in football. 
Uh, still, you look around those guys, uh, the linebacking core is nowhere near that good as what it was in, in 2017. Clearly, Telvin Smith gone. Miles Jack not looking all that good at the middle linebacker position. Uh, the safety play, you can argue, even though I wasn't the biggest fan of Barry Church. In 2017, him and Tashawn Gibson did some good things back there. You can argue that they're probably, or at least then, they were a better tandem than we have now. Although there's plenty of room for Ronnie Harrison and Gerard Wilson to grow. And they and those two didn't exactly look horrible this year either. But, you know, the play from the, the two veterans we had, uh, I think it was uh, pretty much better than what we're getting now and then. A.J. Boye no longer playing like he was in 2017. Jalen Ramsey gone. Uh, Trey Herndon thrust into his role. Uh, Trey Herndon got better throughout the season. Clearly not the player that Jalen Ramsey is. Uh, but, you know, the upside is there. So, I mean, like it, it, that and a whole slew of other things. It's just a big difference between 2017 and now. And I think that was the biggest takeaway I took from uh, Khan's statement is that, you know, he can't get past that mindset of, you know, we're not what we were in 2017. And it, it was something else he mentioned, by the way, that really, I, I don't want to say irritated me, but it was alarming that he said that basically he didn't feel like the time was now to reset the whole front office. Well, in my opinion, Shad Khan, what is he at? I think 37 and 90 as an owner. I know he's at 90 losses. Next year could be 100 losses if he gets into double digits. What other sign do you need that it's time to move on from Dave Caldwell, who's been here from seven, for seven years, only produced one winning season? And, and what, what furthermore do you need to see from Doug Marone, who's been here, and they've had two straight double-digit losing seasons under him? So that, you know what I'm saying? It's like... I don't know what Shahad Khan's looking at personally, and that, that's concerning uh, that he can't assess the game with football enough. I know he's more of a businessman, but enough to see those clear indicators that it's probably uh, time to move on. So nonetheless, uh, we have Dave Caldwell, we have Doug Marone here, and um, we'll see where things go uh, from this point on. Yeah, to touch on exactly what you just said, Jay, I mean, not the time to... what. Well, then when is the time? I mean, like you said, seven years and one winning season is a is that's a long time for very, very little results. You know, a lot of that, of course, was wasted on Blake Bortles. And then we moved on to Nick Foles. And now we have this whole mess. And yeah, I mean, I, I even think fans have moved on from 2017. You know, we, uh, of course, you know, we had the whole Miles Jack fiasco and we've even moved on from that. That's not even something that's really talked about. Of course, he wasn't down and we all know that. That's the truth. And but but we've all we have all left that in the past. And it just seems that Shad Khan, just for whatever reason, is is still clinging on to that. Well, we did have that one year, remember? And we're going to get back to that. And like, no, we're not, because barring some kind of massive changes, I don't see this team being that much better next year. And, and that, that may have played into the decision making as, as well. This really didn't surprise me as as we had gotten closer and closer, Jay, some of our sources were telling us this is probably going to happen. Everyone's going to stay. Once Tom was out, then we're probably going to get these guys at least for one more year. And I feel like that's kind of the theme of the Jags where they hang on to this guy they're a seat for a season too long. They they hung on to Jack Del Rio a little bit too long. They hung on to Gus Bradley a little bit longer than they should have. And here we are again. And we've mentioned before, Doug Marone may very well be a very, very good coach. And he may have not been given all the opportunities that he has deserved. But based off the last couple of years and what has happened, 
you sometimes you just got to clean, you got to wipe the slate clean and start over. And I felt like this was the opportunity to do it. And for whatever reason, they didn't pull the trigger. Yeah, that's a a, a concerning trend with Tom Coughlin is exactly what you said. Uh, yeah, and I understand like, you know, we, me, you and Jacob have long, long said that Tom Coughlin was holding this franchise back. And I think like that's what he went off of, too. And and by he, I mean Shad Khan. Uh, when he met with Dave Caldwell and met with Doug Marone, which probably was various times, I, I think, you know, that was what they stressed to him is that Tom Coughlin is the guy that's holding us back. Without him, we can do better and we could be a better team. And and he probably bought into that. Shad Khan probably did. But, yeah, you look at the trend. It's it's always with Shad Khan. It's always been half measure approaches. And that is not uh, what has what will do this franchise justice. You need to clean the slate, as you said, and, and just, you know, remove yourself from all of your mistakes of the past and, and start trending in the right direction. You look at when Gus Bradley was here. Well, first, actually, before Gus Bradley, it was Mike Malarkey, who they paired with Gene Smith. And basically, they removed themselves of that mistake. Uh, had to fire Malarkey, who they, again, they paired with Gene Smith, who was from the past regime. So he, that was a half measure approach there in the first place. Then when Malarkey and, and Gene Smith were paired together, they wiped the slate clean for the first time and the only time in Shad Khan's history then. Then he moved on, got Dave Caldwell. Dave Caldwell paired him with Gus Bradley. They're supposed to be attached at the hip, by the way. But by the time, you know, it was all said and done, they moved on from Dave Caldwell or, or Gus Bradley, should I say, pinning the blame more so on Gus and how the locker room wasn't in his favor and kept Dave Caldwell. So that was a half-measure approach. Got Marone in here, who they promoted from within the staff, and put him with Dave Caldwell. And now it, they also paired him with Tom, or those two with Tom Coughlin to make a trio. And now this time around, they just eliminated Tom Coughlin out of the picture and continue, or will continue, with Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone. So that's another half-measure approach. So, you know, he keeps doing these the the same thing over and over again. And it's not, I don't know why, but it's just not registering that this is not the way to build a franchise, especially, you know, when he could just simply look within the league and how, you know, the the dynasties and the the top tier franchise, the first class franchises that he wants to this team to be, how they would go about business. You know, the Ravens would completely well I, I won't even say the Ravens because they kept Ozzy Newsome uh, when they named Harbaugh their coach, but there was no need to move on from uh, Harbaugh. But it had the Ravens, if uh, or move on from Ozzie Newsom. But if Harbaugh or or Ozzie Newsom was a bad GM, make no mistake about it, the Ravens would have moved on from him and their last coach as well. That's what the good franchises do. Same could be applied for the Pittsburgh Steelers and and the uh, the New England Patriots of the world and all of these consistent franchises. It's you know they know not to take half measure approaches when it comes to these kind of decisions. Not that they've had to make those decisions often because they've been consistent and been able to keep consistent personnel into their, their organizations. But I think like this is something that Shad Khan uh, needs to definitely realize and, and something that he needs to address uh, hopefully next year. I don't know. We'll see. Um, who's to say if we get one more win this year than we got last year, uh, if he'll keep Caldwell and, and Marone again, but time will tell. Now, what do you say to some of the reports, Jay, that 
uh, I think it came out from came out from Chris Mortensen that the front office was just not too enamored with any of the head coaching candidates that were out there. What do you have to say about about those reports? Yeah, like it. You know, to me, it's like were they not enamored with the guys that were out there available in terms of the candidates, or were the candidates not really enamored with them? Because look, this team is coming off. Let's face it, they are coming off a pretty much a not just in terms of the record and what they put on the field, the product they put on field, but they they are coming off a basically a, a year where the organization looked bad, the structure looked bad of this organization, where Shad Khan looked bad. Uh, that was the NFLPA thing with with Tom Coughlin. And if you're Shad Khan, you know people are looking at it as BS. If he wants to make this claim that he didn't know what was going on with the NFLPA situation, because at the end of the day, you're the owner. You should watch your franchise closely. And so there's that that he has to uh, rinse his hands off of this year. And not only that, just just in general, how the Jalen Ramsey fiasco went. Um, and, and so far and so on and so forth. And it's been things in the past that has, has made this organization in terms of Shad Khan and the moves he's made look questionable. How they went about the Gus Bradley situation, firing him in Houston, letting him fly on a plane with the team. That wasn't a good look. The the uh, Mercedes Lewis situation, not a good look at all either. So this coach is probably on the outside looking in on this organization right now and saying like, I don't know if I want to necessarily be there right now because some some sketchy things have gone on over there. And, uh, you know, again, Shad Khan can maybe rinse his hands of that this year and, and show that as an owner, he's a, a top-notch owner and, and rid himself of all of the mistakes of the past, especially the Tom Coughlin era. Uh, but right now, I, I, I was on record for saying that I thought this team would look appealing. But when you look at what Tom Coughlin did with his franchise and all of the negatives he brought into it, uh, it's definitely, in my opinion, it's def- definitely a possibility, at least, that you know a lot of the candidates out there, especially the guys that aren't first-year head coaches, probably looked on the outside looking in and, and just weren't uh, too thrilled about what the Jacksonville Jaguars had to offer as an organization. Yeah. So then, so moving on from, from Mort's, uh from uh, the reports coming out of Chris Morton's and move on to some thoughts that came from a local, uh, local host, of course, Brent Martineau, who's here in Jacksonville and, and his point of view. Now, Jay, we want to touch on that here and, and kind of get your thoughts on that as well. Thinking that, Hey, maybe come next, maybe we need to do a little bit of, you know, a little bit of fixing up around this place and then go into the head coaching search next year with a little bit more of an appealing position. Yeah. From that perspective, I agree with Brent. And, uh, you know, basically he was just saying maybe Sean Khan is looking at this thing and, and, you know, Dave Caldwell is a part of why this team is the way it is. And he's a part of the mess despite, you know, yeah, a bulk of it was Tom Coughlin, but Dave Caldwell is also part of this as well. So he may be looking at it as like, Hey, let me let him and Doug Marone clean this up as best as they can. And if the record looks anywhere identical to how it looks this year, I could just part ways with them. And hopefully throughout this season, at least Dave Caldwell will um, make the cap situation look more appealing. We could be, as you kind of said before we started recording, it's a possibility the Jacks could get four to two wins next year. Just looking at how much talent this roster needs and how much how many needs they have. No, they they could be interesting from that perspective because they'll be in range to get Trevor Lawrence or or a Justin Fields per se, and they also have a lot of draft capital to basically I think it's nine picks next year 
to trade up if need be. So from that perspective, Brent is on to something. Maybe Shad Khan wants this to look more appealing to, you know, the candidates out there. Also, as I was saying, rinse his hands from the Tom Coughlin, the Coughlin debacle with the NFLPA and the Jalen Ramsey saga. You know, that's not a good look. You're not willing to take care of your franchise player, basically, and basically the most uh, talented player this team has had in quite some time. That's not a good look as well. So, you know, maybe, you know, in the process, the Jaguars can rinse their hands from some of their mistakes of the past, make things look more appealing. You know, pay Yannick and Gakwe, you know, show people out there that they're willing to pay their best players because they didn't do it this year with the Jalen Ramsey situation uh, and show the NFL PA and the players that might want to come in as free agents that, hey, what Tom Coughlin did is no longer a thing here. We're past that. We, we want to be a first-class franchise and a first-class organization. Yeah, not to get too off topic here, Jay, but the Pro Football Hall of Fame finalists have just been announced. And once again, our man Big Bo, the pride of the Jaguars, Tony Vaselli, is once again a finalist. Jay, really quick, I know it's off topic and we weren't going to talk about this, but is this the year? For Tony Baselli. Man, I hope so, man. You know, I, I know and I know Tony has received a lot of heat from the local fan base, you know, and his his willingness to stick by Tom Coughlin and some of the mistakes that the Jags have made. But in terms of like when you look at Tony Baselli as a talent and what he did in the Hall of Fame, or, or should I say when he what he did when he was with the Jacksonville Jaguars, man. Uh, you know, I I've written plenty of articles on it. Feel free to check him out. But uh, or check them out. You know, Tony Boselli has long deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. It's always going to be a knock against him that, you know, his his career wasn't as long as that and the other. You know, at some point he has to knock the door down. And I think this may be the year he does it. I guess time will tell, though. It's just crazy to me that a guy who who for a good stretch, I would say for at least three or four years was the best in his position. And he is still not in. So hopefully he is in this year. And yeah, like you said, he's taken his fair share of criticism on and off the field and then off also and then, you know, in his post playing career. Uh, but he definitely deserves to be in. So we will keep our eyes on that. Uh, uh, but yeah, Jay, so, um, you know, no shortage of things to talk about when it comes to this coaching situation. But is there is there somebody? So since we're we're passing on the, the crop this year. And not going into the head coaching search, which has already hit the ground running. Ron Rivera has found himself a job. Mark Mike McCarthy is interviewing uh, in multiple places. Uh, Jack Del Rio got paired up with Ron Rivera in Washington. So is there a name going into next year that you're maybe hoping would be linked to the team uh, come 2021? Yeah, I mean, just just looking at... uh the field, uh, the two that I were, was the highest on in terms of the candidate field, and that's if they don't get jobs this year as head coaches. But um, the two I really had my eyes set on, because I, even next year, I do believe that this won't be an appealing team in terms of wanting to appeal to a a, a guy that's been a, a head coach before. I think they're going to have to get a, a first-year head coach, basically, regardless. Uh, so that being said, like I was really – me personally, I was enamored with getting Greg Roman uh, because, you know, of what he's done with quarterbacks and, and quarterbacks that haven't necessarily been the most accurate in college, too. That that really enticed me to him or draw me into him. And, uh, you know, there's a, you know, he has the relationship with Dave Caldwell. They played on the same football team at I think it was John Carroll State University or or somewhere like that. So, you know, they're really good friends. 
And then the other one was Brian Bienemy from the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, granted, a lot of people say, hey, Bienemy is a guy that doesn't call the plays, this, that, and the other for the Chiefs. Uh, but he's long been an understudy under Andy Reid, was their running backs coach, was uh, promoted to the offensive coordinator. It's very hands-on with Andy Reid and the players as well. He's caught on to, in my opinion, he's probably caught on to his uh, tendencies and his 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 ability, Andy Reid's ability as a offensive coordinator. Um, and I just think he does need an opportunity, um, in my opinion. But you look at, you know, especially with the enemy, the things that you hear from Kansas City, not just from them, but not their fans, but also just in general, is that the enemy is a great teacher. Um, he's a great guy that has taken many players under his wing and mentored them. Uh, Maurice Jones Drew is one of them, notably, who uh, was mentored by him when he was going to UCLA and at uh, in high school as well. So, you know, that's a guy that I think the Jaguars need. He's a no-nonsense guy, but at the same time, he could reach that, that uh, young roster medium, if you will, reach out to them and, and better communicate with them. I mean, and Delton Rowe is actually doing a good job with his young roster in terms of communication too. So I, I think they wouldn't have any issues getting along with Brian Bienemy as well, who in some ways is very similar to Doug Marone, who the players have vouched for uh, all year and, uh, you know, even before. Well, another thing to keep an eye on and, uh, man, just uh, you, you, like you said, going into next year with a whole bunch of other other issues in terms of the actual roster, we'll see if we find ourselves in play for a guy like a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields or who knows who will rise to the top. Like this year, not a lot of – I don't think anybody had Joe Burrow coming in as the number one quarterback. And But look, here we are now, and who knows who might take that opportunity in 2020. So uh, moving on to – uh, so, some more um, uh, to some other some other news. Yannick Ngakwe, of course, is going to be a big topic of conversation in the off season. He has been very very active on social media as of late. There have been there were even reports after the uh, the strip sack and uh, the strip sack and then uh, the touchdown by Calais Campbell. There were reports in the stadium uh, that I was reading on social media that Yann was yelling out, "Pay me my money!" on the sideline. Uh, that was not confirmed. That's just what I was reading out there in the Jaguar social media uh, universe. But uh, Yann and we posted on Instagram today, or, or a couple of, yeah, I was actually today. Duval, thank you for all the love and support. No matter where I play in the future, you are, you all are in my heart forever. Um, he also was interacting with Matthew Judon quite a bit on Twitter today, who was, of course, the linebacker from the Baltimore Ravens. Now, that is significant because, of course, the Ravens, uh, play in Maryland, where uh, Yannick Ngakwe went to college. Uh, so, yeah, here we go, Jay. We're going to hit the ground running with this. It, is, it has been a feeling of mine uh, while this whole thing has been going on that he's going to leave. Now, of course, he can't just walk out. Jacksonville can ultimately can ultimately uh, franchise tag him and, and keep him here and then go from there, go, go from that point on. But with all of this, it just really seems like he feels like the writing is on the wall and he's ready to move on. But what do you think he's going to do? Yeah, I think, well, by the way, the uh, pay Yan thing, or when he said, pay me my money. The interesting thing that I was seeing on Twitter as well is if we look at the, um, the makeup of the stadium, a lot of people were saying he was looking at the owner's box, telling the owner. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, I mean, I found that interesting that, you know, in my eyes, that could mean that maybe he's fine with staying with the Jacksonville Jaguars if he was 
talking directly to the owners of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He just wants his money, simply put. But, you know, who knows if, you know, what the future holds in terms of what he'll actually do or where he'll actually end up. Uh, but all of that said, though, I think Yannick Ngakwe is using, you know, a tool of social media and the fan base being behind him and the pay Yan movement to his advantage because he knows that this Jacksonville Jaguars fan base is going to stay on the Jacksonville Jaguars case about paying him. I mean, for crying out loud, me and you say hashtag pay Yan after every podcast. That just shows you how strong the movement is and, you know, how much the, the fans are in his corner on this. Um, especially with Jalen Ramsey leaving out from that 2016 class and them paying the wrong person, which was Miles Jack, uh, because he ultimately didn't look all that good this year. So I think that's what he's basically doing is utilizing this this platform of social media that we have that people didn't have back in the day. He's using this movement to get his point across. Now, to say it's just asinine that Yannick and Gakwe would end up with another team that, you know, that would be wrong. Like, that definitely could happen, especially, I mean, we look at the past with this front office and this regime. I mean, nobody ever thought that the Jacksonville Jaguars would let arguably the best player we've seen drafted here in quite some time go and trade him away. Albeit they got good capital for him. Don't get me wrong, but still, you know, nobody would have ever thought that was a thing when we drafted Jalen Ramsey in 2016. Uh, that being said, I think, a lot of Jalen Ramsey getting traded was on Tom Coughlin and his friction with Tom Coughlin. Now Dave Caldwell has a, and we talked about this before, you know, we started recording. Dave Caldwell has a direct path to Tom Coughlin or, or to Shad Khan. He doesn't answer to anybody anymore. There's nobody who has the final say over him but Shad Khan. And me, you just discussed this. Shad Khan doesn't know the game of football enough to have the final say in, in, in anything football related. Maybe Tony Khan has a little more leeway in that department, but definitely not Shad Khan. So basically, I feel like Shad Khan, you know, when Dave Caldwell comes to him with a proposition or, or whatever the case may be, he has no choice but to go with it because, again, like, we know that Shad Khan is more of a businessman more uh, than a football mind, if you will. So, But with, with Dave Caldwell dating back, because, you know, like I said, I watched the Falcons. I'm, I, I watched the Falcons on the, at least from my home. Uh, that's the other media market that comes on in my home. And I was a Falcons fan uh, way back when Vic was there. And, you know, I, I grew up in the state of Georgia, uh, this, that, and the other. That's my second team, if you will. But, you know, when he was with the Falcons, and I'm talking about Dave Caldwell, him, him and Thomas Dimitrov have struggled. Until this day, is still an issue, too. Dimitrov has yet to find a franchise pass rusher for that team. They couldn't find one then. Um, they, they kept... Uh, what's his name? His name is escaping me right now, the old veteran. They kept him for many, many years because they couldn't find a young, youthful franchise pass rusher there in Atlanta. And, you know, those are issues they still struggle with today. Knowing that, I feel like Dave Caldwell is going to do his best. And he did say that he wants to make Sonny Yan, and he will make Sonny Yan his number one priority. Uh, that may be easier said than done. But I really think, like, after losing Jalen Ramsey and the – issues he's had in the past with finding a franchise pass rusher. He knows how difficult it is to have a franchise pass rusher. And he does truly want to do everything in his power to keep Yannick Ngakwe. Uh, as you know, Tom Coughlin kind of hindered that process, if you will. You know, the report, I don't know if you saw it, it came out that uh, the offer that Tom Pellicero was referring to, 
that was gave uh, to shot in Jan's way in the summer was basically, you know, in the summer in July, they started negotiations in early July. And then in, I guess you could say late July, Tom Coughlin basically shut them off, just shut off negotiations. And, and that was it. Like, as we all know, like to get a contract done, a five year deal of this magnitude, it's going to take some some going back and forth. It's going to take more than 15 days worth of negotiations to get something like that done. Tom Coughlin is no longer here. I think Dave Caldwell has more patience than Tom Coughlin in that category and, and it would definitely, you know, fight tooth and nail to keep Yannick and Gakwe here. And perhaps I think it's going to probably take him having to be paid more than Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, I don't know if Dave Caldwell is willing to do that, uh, but I do think Dave Caldwell is willing to give Yan uh, a way significantly better deal than the one that they shot him in the summer uh, that Tom Coughlin was supposedly behind. It just seems like to make all the sense in the world to keep together Josh Allen and Yannick Ngakwe, we just, we just talked about it. We are trying to make, make this team more appealing in 2021. It's not going to be any more appealing if you let one of the best young pass rushers in the league get out of here. And yeah, they need to make this their number one priority. Show the fans, hey, we hear you. We, we want to keep this guy too. We want to do everything we can in our power to make sure that he stays with the organization. And as I've echoed this before, throughout the entire season, you know, Jan has done everything you would have wanted from a guy that is in the position that he is in. You you want somebody to just go out there and play, and that is what he has done. He has been the, uh, he, you know, he wasn't a distraction, unlike Jalen Ramsey, and he's just gone out there and continued to play. Now, it would have been one thing if his play dipped, but it didn't, really. He still played very, very well. And I, man, I hope they get this done, but I don't know, Jay. Like I said, it's just something in my gut that makes me because, and I think it just has to do with the history of the team. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's just something in, in, in my gut that, that tells me, I feel like we might lose this guy. I hope that's not the case, but he's, he's putting out all these signs. But as you mentioned, I think he's just very, very smart and using social media very, very effectively to put that fear in the front office. Like, Hey, why are you out here talking to Matthew Judon? You know what I mean? Right. And they may just very well be good friends that, that they already, and they already, you know, they already knew each other and had a relationship. That's probably the case, but you do these things uh, because remember when uh, Bruce Irvin was going through the free agency rounds, he followed a lot of Jaguar fans and ended up getting, you know, a lot of good money from, I think it was the Oakland Raiders. And then ultimately he didn't even pan out, but he still got paid <laughs> because he was out there working social media. And that is part of the process now four players. And I think Jan, just like you said, is using, using that platform very, very well. I think I can speak for all of us in the Jaguar fandom and hoping that Jan gets his money. And uh, we will, again, another thing, we'll just have to wait and see and just pray <laughs> that they make the right decision here in the off season. Yeah. So my thing with Yannick is if Dave Caldwell because me and you talked about this too. I just did some hypothetical math using overthecap.com. And the Jazz could free up like 30 million uh just by cutting, I think it was Marcel Darius, Geoff Swain, Jake Ryan. Uh so you know, that's just, you know, again, and we all know that salary cap is fake. That's just that shows you how easy it is uh it is to come up on that kind of money and, and free up the cap space because right now the Jaguars are under the cap by um, I think it's like a little under a million dollars, but we all know that they probably will 
uh, end up fixing that down the road. And then you got guys like Calais Campbell, who has been on record for saying that the Jazz shouldn't let Yannick and Gakwe go, that you can't let a guy like Yannick and Gakwe go. He's a guy that you would think, you know, I don't think it'll be a, you'll have a hard time maybe having Calais take a, a, a restructured contract. I think next year or 2020 is his last year. So you could restructure his deal. Uh, and even if you don't part ways with the Marcel Darius, you might can restructure his deal or uh, cut him and then re-sign him to something cheaper. So there are options out here. And, but my thing is this, if Dave Caldwell clears out all of that cap space and what he could do is he can kind of backload Yannick's deal, if you will, or make him take a smaller cap hit in the first year. Uh, but if he, you know, frees up all of this cap space and offers, and, and we don't know what they're going to offer Yannick and Godquay. We do know they're going to offer him something, though, based off what Dave Caldwell said. He offers Ngakwe to be the highest paid 4-3 defensive end in football. And that's, what, five years, $105 million, $65 million guaranteed, according to Demarcus Lawrence's contract. If he offers him more than the Demarcus Lawrence contract, and Yannick passes on that, and they let it leak out there that Yannick, you know, they offer him to be the highest paid 4-3 defensive end in football. At that point, it's like, so be it. You know what I'm saying? For me personally, if, you know, if you offer him that kind of money, you know, that shows to me, although they should have done it long ago, uh, last year to be exact, because that deal that Tom Coughlin shot or whoever concocted that deal from last year, that was a slap in the face. Uh, but, you know, if they call well, kind of steps up to the plate and offers a deal like that, then, yeah, like, in my opinion, if Yan wants to be traded or whatever the case may be, wants to part ways, then at that point, it's like, okay, well, so be it. Like, what more can you do at that point? Yeah, to kind of touch on what you were talking about in terms of Calais taking a little bit of a pay cut, are there any, in terms of those veterans, like A.J. Boye, Calais Campbell, Jeff Swaim, you know, names like that that you have mentioned, is there anybody on on the roster right now that you could foresee not being here next year, like a Calais or an A.J. Boye? I actually wrote about this. I don't know how willing... AJ Boye would be to take a pay cut. I mean, I, I'm not saying that he won't. I just don't know how willing he would. So if he hypothetically saying he doesn't want to take a pay cut, did you just say, oh, well, and, and move on from his cap hit, which I think is like 11 or $12 million, it, especially with the situation with Jan needing to get, you know, basically needed to be taken care of, you know, so he's one of the guys that I look at and I wonder like, would he? Uh, Calais so much, I don't think Calais, you would have a hard time having him come off his figure and kind of come back at a cheaper price. And Marcel, Marcel Darius did it last year. And he, you know, from what he said, you know, it really wasn't that big of a deal or issue to him because, you know, Marcel's mindset was like, hey, man, I made like a lot of money off of this contract. This ridiculous contract that the Buffalo Bills gave me. I was fine with taking a pay cut this year. Uh, so, you know, maybe he's a guy that, you know, wants to come back on a cheaper price. Uh, in 2020 as well, too. But uh, yeah, definitely Boye is the one that concerns me the most. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people float out Andrew Norwell. I think Andrew Norwell's dead cap hit is like 5.5 million. Uh, I'm good. I'll just keep him, unfortunately, uh, because he hasn't played to his contract. The highest paid guard at the time is what he was paid to be. And uh, Brandon Linder is another guy people have floated out there. Uh, but, you know, his deal maybe could be restructured or they can get him on the cheap uh, because I don't think he would cost dead money, by the way, now that I think of it. 
if they uh, did cut him, though. But, you know, he's one of the – on a bad offensive line, he's one of the better players on a bad offensive line. So it really would hurt them more than help them if they let him go. I think, yeah, definitely the ones I'm eyeing is like Jake Ryan in terms of being cut and Geoff Swain being cut. Marcel Darius either being cut or restructuring and Calais Campbell. Uh, but Boye is the big question mark. We'll see – exactly where his mind is and then what he thinks about taking a pay cut if they ask him to do that. But he hasn't, I mean, to me, he hasn't been the same player he was in 2017. And I mean, granted the front seven in front of him isn't as good as it once was uh, still, you know, it was some moments that Boye had in my opinion this year, where it's like, you know, you, you might just be a B tier corner, C tier corner, but time will tell. Right. Yeah. I, I think one thing is for sure that the roster is going to, look quite different next season. I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, uh, even despite the the cap situation that they are in. So we'll move on to our final topic here, Jay. And we won't get into uh, too much draft stuff this week because we're going to have plenty of months to leading up to April to speak on that. And I know we're going to have a lot to talk about as far as that. But everybody's favorite man of the hour here in Duval County is Gardner Minshew. And now with the upcoming draft class um, i think we can it's safe to say joe burrow is going to be out of the equation unless they make some drastic moves up to go get him i don't see that happening but you never know um there's going to be a jalen hurts there's going to be a tua tonga justin herbert or i was about to say or the Bengals just do something very Bengals like and just pass on him. <laughs> which i mean i, oh, I don't think even the Bengals yeah. would mess this up you know to be honest with you like i really have a hard time seeing the Bengals mess this up Somebody was saying, like, what the Bengals just simply need to do is right now is just go to the phone line, unplug the phone line, and not accept any offers in terms of coming up off that pick. But, you know, <laughs> we'll see. Well, you never know. Uh, you, you never know what can happen in, in the league. And But, yeah, so uh, yeah, um, yeah, so I was, I was saying uh, Justin Herbert is a name that's going to be floated out there. Uh, so what do you think the future holds for Gardner Minshew? Of course, Nick Foles is still going to be on the roster next season, we presume, barring some kind of miracle. Somebody else wants him. <laughs> uh, Gardner Minshew did finish the season. I believe he went he, he went six and six, correct? Is that what he was his final record? Or yeah, six what was six. his final? Yeah, six and six. Now, I would like to point out, yes, he gave us some great moments. Did not have a win against a winning team. All right, The Colts win was Okay, well, then no one's really playing for anything. It's at the very end of the season. Got a lot of help from the defense. He didn't have a signature victory against an, a, a team with a winning record and flat out disappeared on some games down the stretch as well. Let's not forget that. I love the guy. Like I said, he gave us a lot of great moments throughout the season, plenty to talk about. But let's not act like he is the savior of this franchise because he's not. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much all there is to say to it, say about it. Uh, Jay, Gardner Minshew, what do you think the future holds for him here in Jacksonville? Ultimately, do you think they're going to go all in on him, at least for 2021? Is it going to be an open competition, or do you think they'll move on from him altogether? Yeah, well, first, and I don't think like this is what you, you were doing, by the way, but I, I really I don't want to discount Gardner and what he's done. Now, Grant, like you say, he hasn't necessarily beaten a marquee team, but the, the game against the Colts is something that we probably shouldn't forget. Um, just as well as he had some very bad games like against the Saints that we probably shouldn't forget too. Uh, but the game, the last game against the Colts is one that kind of stood out to me for this reason. Okay, so the Colts defense 
it's pretty respectable, in my opinion, especially against the run. Uh, and, and by the way, Gardner Minshew didn't really need the run game in this one like that, at least, uh, because Leonard Fournette was out of the game, by the way. But, yeah, that, that all the more makes kind of the point that I'm getting to here is that Minshew was successful against a very decent defense. We're talking about a top 10 defense here, probably. Uh, not so much against the pass. They, they aren't all that great against the pass, but. You know, he did this without his best weapon in Leonard Fournette in that last game. And that is kind of, you know, that's hard to discount. Now, am I saying he's the guy, uh, this, that, and the other? Not necessarily saying that he's the guy. But I'm just saying, like, when you look at his body of work, what a way to finish the season against a respectable opponent. And by the way, the Colts are a divisional opponent. And that's where the Jags struggle is beating divisional opponents. Two of Gardner Minshew's wins came against divisional opponents, and they were pretty good games, by the way. The other one was against the uh, Tennessee Titans week three, where he, uh, I mean, and, you know, again, like he's had help from the defense, this, that, and the other, and Leonard Fournette. But, yeah, just the of how that game went for him and how he did it without Leonard Fournette. And, by the way, another point I want to make is the offense looked significantly better without Leonard Fournette, which is crazy to say the least. Um, so, you know, maybe there there's something to look into that part of it, too, is uh, maybe the, they're trying to force feed Leonard Fournette and it's not really helping them. Now, that you know, that's not to say I don't think Leonard Fournette is talented, this, that, and the other. Uh, but, you know, I'm just saying that's just something that stood out in my mind. Now, in terms of like Gardner Minshew's future, I actually wrote about this in my uh, my seven biggest needs for the Jaguars article that I just recently posted like an hour or two ago. But I think Gardner Minshew has done enough to where the Jaguars shouldn't force themselves to take a quarterback. And and look, Dave Caldwell didn't necessarily commit to him. At the same time, in his press conference, he did say, like, the guy has played well enough to be considered for Offensive Rookie of the Year, which is true. And he, he said good things about him, you know. But that being said, in terms of the draft process they should look at, a lot of people, you know, have talked about this on my timeline with me, and they make a good point. Maybe – we should be looking into next year if we're going to take a quarterback, because like you said, ultimately we can end up in the top five next year. It's a very strong possibility regardless of what people think. And that puts you in the range for fields or, or the other young man from Clemson that's escaping my mind, Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence. So, um, I, and uh, something about that too, like we always, I think we got to get away from that too. We always talk about, Oh, maybe next year's the year. We've been saying maybe next year's the year for the last five years at quarterback, basically. So at some point, you got to pull the plug at the quarterback position. And, and look, these classes aren't going to necessarily all the time look the most appealing. Everybody say, oh, this next year's class is going to be the class at quarterback. And it never is because, you know, you play out the year, the guys you thought were going to look good don't look good. And I'm a Georgia fan, so Drake, Jake Fromm is a prime example. Is a guy that just looked excellent last year or, or should I say in 2018 and now I think his draft stock is hurt by that you know so you can't really like really look into the future like that at the quarterback position because that class can look way worse when it's all said and done in the end uh, than we are projecting it to look now but on to miss you he had a good enough season to where just to put it simply the Jaguars don't have to necessarily force themselves to take a quarterback early in this draft and this this class is not I, I, I got to watch more film, but it's not all that impressive if you don't have like if you had Greg Roman, I could say like go for a Jordan Love or a Justin Herbert type prospect. But we don't. We kept Marone. So, you know, those guys are kind of like off the table for me 
in my opinion. The only guy, like you said, is uh, Burrow is the only guy that I think like is probably worth taking in the first round right now. Like I said, I got to do some more draft evaluations. Uh, but, you know, the Jaguars, you know, don't have to force themselves to take a quarterback early in this draft because of how Gardner Minshew looked. He's six and six, as we said, as a start of 500, which is pretty good to say the least for a, a six round pick, especially. But at the same time, if the opportunity presents itself to get a quarterback, let's just say, and this is not going to happen, but Joe Burrow starts to fall a little bit. If Joe Burrow so much as fall to the number two pick, the Jaguars should greatly consider trading up to get him. Whoever, I think it's the Redskins. And the Redskins will be open for business because they have um, they have Dwayne Haskins. So they'll be open yeah. for business. Yeah. But yeah, if he starts to so much as slide one or two picks, the Jaguars don't need to let Gardner Minshew be the reason that they don't consider trading up for him. Or if, you know, somebody slides to them at whatever pick they have, which is nine and 20 right now in the first round, they shouldn't let that, and I'm saying Gardner Minshew's season from 2019 hindered them from getting a guy that may be graded higher than Gardner Minshew and has better upside than Gardner Minshew in terms of the quarterback position. If you think Justin Herbert, and I would pass on this option, but if you're Dave Caldwell and you think Justin Herbert could be the guy in terms of the franchise quarterback and his potential and his upside, you like that, and you think overall he'll be in the end better than Gardner Minshew, well then don't let that stop you from drafting it because that's why this franchise is where they are right now is they let Blake Bortles hinder them from taking upgrades where they could have had a Patrick Mahomes, where they could have had a Lamar Jackson, where they could have had a Deshaun Watson. And uh, reportedly, you know, like we've heard the whispers that somebody in that front office was really high on Deshaun Watson and nonetheless they passed on him. And look where that's gotten Shad Khan right now. Shad Khan is at 90 losses as an owner and Dave Caldwell only has one winning season out of seven. And a lot of that is because of the mistakes they've made at the quarterback position. So, you know, that's my advice is don't let the current quarterback, who is not any by any means not Aaron Rodgers or anything like that, don't let him hinder you from taking a guy that you feel like could be a star in the end because, you know, that, that has really hurt this franchise in the past. Is there a guy outside of Joe Burrow that you would take if they fell to nine uh, or 20? I would take um, his name is escaping me, Oklahoma, Phil. I know you're that's your comment. Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I would take Jalen Hurts second, third roundish, in my opinion. Uh, but I, well, that was my mindset. If we got a guy again, going back to what I was saying, if we got a guy like the um, Ravens' offensive coordinator, you know, with the current staff we have. They probably are just better off going with uh with Minshew personally. Unless it's unless it's Joe Burrow right now, I feel like it's just yeah, they probably should just stick with Minshew and maybe get a you know a guy in the third round or or before that. Uh but a lot of it was based off of the coordinator situation. And I, I think, you know, John D. Filippo could have a better season with Minshew next year. Uh personally, that'll be his second year or their second year together. Uh, but ultimately time will tell. Now, because we will probably still have Nick Foles on the books come next season, is that probably going to rule out a guy like Philip Rivers or so, or something like that from coming here? Probably. I'll say this as well. I'm glad you brought that up. Is um, I, I mean, I don't really think we're gonna go that route in terms of getting a, a high price free agent or a guy like that, after, especially after being you know burned 
like oven grease by the Nick Foles situation. But on Nick Foles, my thing is I'm not 100 percent sure that he's going to be on the roster, to be honest with you. And I know a lot of people say, well, who's going to take that cap hit and uh, will they, you know, will they just cut him and take all of that dead cap towards their books? It's just like you had that feeling about Yannick. I got a feeling the Jaguars may be able to trade Nick Foles and pull one of the Bryce Osweiler type moves that the Texans did, which basically, you know, the Texans traded, I think it was the Browns, a second round pick or something like that to take Brock Osweiler off their books because they had a lot of cap space. I mean, I, and it's not a lot of teams out there that may want folks, but I look at a team like the Indianapolis Colts, and I know you don't do business with the enemy. Frank Wright was his uh, his what quarterback's coach with the Eagles. The Colts have the most cap space, if I can recall. I think it was in the upper 40s uh, in terms of the millions uh, cap space that they'll have available in, in 2020. And again, like uh, going back to what I was saying, I know you don't do business with the enemy, so to speak, and you don't, it's far-fetched to say, why would you trade? Or, or, you know, a lot of people wonder, why would you trade the Colts a pick to take basically Nick Foles off your hands as well? If you're desperate enough, yeah, you, they need that cap, need I remind you, they need that available space that they can get from relieving Nick Foles off their books. Uh, they need that to pay Yannick Ngakwe. And if that's the ultimate goal, I would do it. I would give them a third round pick and Nick Foles to get him off my books. And so I could pay Yannick and Gakwe. Um, But that's me personally, you know, or you look at a team like the Cincinnati Bengals, who me, you just said it, it's almost a certainty that they should draft Burrow. That being said, he's going to need a veteran in there to help him out because you would think, I don't know if Andy Dalton. Yeah. Andy Dalton would probably be out, I guess. Right. Exactly. And they have, again, the Bengals are one of those teams with a lot of cap space, a little bit less than the Colts, but plenty ample cap space. And it's not like they're going to be able to spend a lot of that money anyway on free agents because nobody's going to want to go to Cincinnati, not yet at least. Uh, But, you know, that's the prime example of a veteran you could get in there to pair with Burrow and mentor him and even start some games until, you know, Burrow is ready. I mean, I know a lot of people argue that, hey, if he's the first overall pick, he's starting day one. But that doesn't have to be the case. You know, that he can probably start five games into the season, four games into the season, or, you know, who knows? But those are the two teams. And the Miami Dolphins kind of, uh, but they have Fitzpatrick. I don't know how long he's there. They have Rosen. Like, they just have a lot to sort out there. But they have a lot of cap space. And, again, I, I, I'm not I, – I just wouldn't rule it out that Nick Foles could be traded off our books, personally. Yeah, that'd be nice. I know the name. I know the Chicago Bears were thrown around there as far as a guy maybe you bring in for competition with for Trubisky. I know they have come out and said that Trubisky will be their guy in 2020, uh, at least for the time being. But you never know. Uh, what about maybe Tampa? I don't know if, if that's a viable location. Um, what do they do with Jameis coming off the 30 and 30 year like that? <laughs> that whole thing is going to be interesting to keep an eye on. So, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, I will say this. There are a lot worse routes to go than just going with Gardner Minshew for another season. And it, it and, and think about it this way, Jay. They, they don't have a lot of goodwill built up. You might as well ride the Minshew train as long as you can, I guess, until people turn on him, which I don't think would, unless something catastrophic happens, I don't think is going to happen. I think people, I this, this season of Jaguar fans has been so self-aware and more so than they have been in the past because they're just so fed up and sick of what's been going on. I mean, I I, I think, like I said, there are worse routes to go than continuing to see what happens with Minshew 
for a full season. And then think about if they're, you know, the rejoice that the fans will also have if they're able to get rid of Nick Foles and, you know, go in the, and then let's keep this in mind too. The Jaguars didn't have that high a grade on, on Gardner Minshew either. Otherwise they would have taken him sooner. Okay. We fell <laughs> into this, which is great, but the, the Jags didn't expect this from him either. Otherwise he would have been taken sooner than the sixth round, but you know, I digress, but yeah, we will, of course, continue to monitor the situation. Now that we know what's happening in the front office, we'll keep an eye on all the roster moves. And of course, make sure you're checking out jaguarswire.usatoday.com for all of your up-to-date Jaguar news. So Jay, those are the the main topics we wanted to get into here this week. Of course, we're going to have plenty to talk about. We're hoping that we can share some really exciting news with you guys very, very soon. But Jay, I guess just let them know what's going on with the site and uh, what we can, uh, what they can look forward to, and then we will get out of here for this week. Yeah, man, plenty of off-season previews is, you know, what I'm doing. Like, if everybody notices the trend, is I'm just looking at off-season stuff. I just did, like I said, the uh, seven biggest needs the Jaguars have. I did the takeaways from Shad Khan's uh, statements about keeping Marone and Caldwell. I'll continue to look. Of course, the draft is going to be a big thing, and we made the, I made that a point of emphasis during the season is, you know. I brought in Daniel because of his his draft knowledge, and we kept you guys just fed in terms of draft stuff, even though some people were saying, like, why are we looking at draft stuff in the regular season? Well, we knew that the Jaguars were going to be a very bad team. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we saw the future that other people apparently couldn't. So we'll, we'll continue to look at draft stuff, mock drafts. Um, you know, I pitched it out there to Phil to maybe go – me and him go to the senior bowl and do some evaluations there if that's even possible. Uh, so yeah, a lot of draft related content, a lot of uh, free agency related content and, and what the future holds and the off season holds for shot Khan, Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone type of content. As I mentioned, guys, make sure you are staying locked into the website at Jack's uh, Jaguars wire.usatoday.com. Of course, make sure you can, you can also find us on Facebook and on Twitter And one of the best ways you can support the podcast, guys, is actually going on to Apple Podcasts and leaving us a five-star review if you feel like we have earned it. And, of course, you can find us anywhere you listen to your podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, and, of course, as I mentioned, Apple Podcasts and the Audio Boom Network. So, Jay, that's it for us this week. We thank you guys for the continued support. We hope that you are enjoying the show. And, again, we will have very, very exciting news for you guys to uh, to share with you guys here very, very soon. So you guys stay safe. Go Jaguars. And uh, Shad, if, in case you were listening, or, uh, or or Tony, if you were listening, uh, go out there and give that man his money. Yannick, pay Yan. We'll see you next time, guys. <laughs>